Let me get you to look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. This is what it says in the Word of God. The 72, that is, disciples of Jesus, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that your spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Well, there's some people that are coming home today, 40 in particular. There are 40 volunteers that have volunteered to work with the, the Refuge International uh, Group. As a matter of fact, you probably saw some stuff about this on television news, like on KLTV. They mentioned something about it, uh, Channel 56, whatever that one is. Uh, but they were all mentioning something about this group of people that were going into Guatemala. And they were going to be there for a week. The people that went on this particular trip were physicians, dentists, optometrists, nurses, and there were some others that uh, had had some experience in, in medical work. Some of them just wanted to learn more about it. Some of them wanted to learn more about what mission work was about. Some of them wanted to do something because they were interested in medical th th things. And so this team brought medical treatment to people in uh, a little village in, in Guatemala. These were people that had no electricity. They really didn't have what we would consider to be clean drinking water, and they had no access to any type of medical treatment. Refuge International sends a group there about three to four times a year, and when that group has to deal with a lot of things. It's certainly not like doing your work in a clinic around here, in a hospital around here, because there they have to deal with rainstorms, they have to deal with power outages, and yeah, they even have to deal with chickens that come into the clinic and walk around and do the things that chickens do. But those people that work with that rescue mission, or ref that uh, res refuge international mission, they just take all the bumps that they come along and they just keep on going and they don't let it bother them. They just keep on doing their job. Now, whenever you get through with something like that, if you've ever been on any type of a mission like that, you know that whenever you get through and you get home, you are absolutely worn out. Now, these people that have come back, though, would they do it again? Yeah, well, I can tell you, nearly every one of them would say, yeah, I would go back next week if I was asked to go. I have, an 11, I have a nephew who lives in Longview, and he's going into the 11th grade next year and he was one of these 40 people. I was talking to him back in the spring, 
and he mentioned something about going on this trip. He, he was accepted as a volunteer to go because he was considering maybe going into the field of medicine whenever he got out of uh, high school and started going to college. He's kind of a quiet guy. Uh, he's not one that's, you know, always cracking jokes and laughing and stuff like that. And whenever he, but he called his mother yesterday to let her know that they would be arriving uh, today. He called her and he had two complaints. One of them was that he was not able to find any Coca-Cola in that village that they were in in Guatemala. And the other thing was this, was that his face was sore from smiling so much. Isn't that something? Isn't that great? You know, these disciples that Jesus was addressing right here, they were kind of acting like an advanced team. As we mentioned this last Sunday morning whenever we were talking about the passage just prior to this, is that what was going on was this. Jesus was making his last journey to Jerusalem. Now really, chapters 10 through the end of Luke uh, is really covers a lot of ground in there, but still it's talking about a relatively short period of time when you think about all that was covered in the first nine chapters of Luke. But what it's talking about is this. Jesus is making his last trip to Jerusalem, and he sent out this advanced team, you could say, to prepare these folks because he was going to be reaching out to people as he was going back to Jerusalem. It would be kind of like this. Back whenever I was in college at Dallas Baptist College, as we called it back then, uh, Billy Graham was going to be speaking in Dallas. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it had to be something like 1973 or 74, somewhere in there. But he was going to be speaking in Dallas. But before he came to speak in Dallas, there were people that were part of his evangelistic team that came ahead of him, and they spoke in churches. At that particular time, I was a member at Casa View Baptist Church in Dallas, where Bill Tisdale was the pastor at the time. And... Uh, and so I was there that Sunday that one of Billy Graham's guys was there. And the guy that was there was George Beverly Shea. So I probably can say that I've done something that none of you have done. I've sung with George Beverly Shea before. Uh, anyway, but this is kind of what Jesus was doing. He sent these guys out in front of him. And whenever they came back, they were evidently just bubbling over with joy. They were excited. They were probably tired, but that probably heightened their excitement. And one of the things that they told Jesus was this. They said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, and this was something, you know. And these disciples were effective not because they were coming in their own name, but they were coming in the name of Jesus Christ. It is only through the authority, only through the name of Jesus, that hard hearts can be softened and Satan's plans can be foiled. Outside of the power and the authority of Jesus, we can make disciples. We can make disciples of people who will follow us or follow some other mortal preacher, but we cannot prevail apart from the mighty name of Jesus Christ if we're going to make disciples for Him. We must always remember that what we are in serving our Lord is that we are clay vessels that contain a really powerful message, and it's the message about Jesus Christ. 
Folks, you don't have to be someone that's slick and, and uh, amazing and flashy. We can find s slick, flashy preachers anywhere you want to go if you want to do that. Some of the most powerful preachers that have ever come down the pike were not necessarily flashy and, and uh, attractive. D.L. Moody, some of you have heard of him, and he was a very powerful evangelist during the 1800s. The thing is, is that he was not the most careful grammarian. I mean, his English grammar stunk, and uh, he was not very polished. Charles Spurgeon, and some of you have heard of him, one of the most celebrated Baptist preachers that the United Kingdom ever put out. Now, he was eloquent, but you know something? He didn't ever go to college. You know, and there's some churches that wouldn't even want him today because he didn't go to school long enough. I'll tell you another one, and you've probably heard of George W. Truett, and he was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas from about 1897 to 1944 somewhere about like that. You know, I had heard about what a great preacher he was, and uh, I had read some, some of his sermons in, in a book, and there was one of them that uh, it was called, uh, If Jesus Had Not Come. And, and, it's, and I was reading it, and it said, you know, he, he was talking about this book that a man wrote that was, the book was titled, If Christ Came to Chicago. And he said in the book that it says, Truett would say, he talked about if Christ came to Chicago, what, would ch what changes would be made? What, how, what kind of an impact would that make upon the city? And then, and then he, said, he said, but what if Christ came to Dallas? What if he came to your home? What if he came, oh my soul, what if he came to my home? And as I read that, I thought, you know, here was this powerful preacher, and, and I could just hear him inside of my head as to how he would sound, but what if Christ came to Dallas? What if he came to your home? Oh my soul, what if he came to my home? I could just hear it. That's how it had to happen. I finally got to hear a recording of it. What if Christ came to Dallas? What if he came to your home? Oh, my soul, what if he came to my home? And I thought, uh-uh, no. But God used these men as tools. I know there was one guy, he died not too long ago. He was not primarily a preacher, although he was an ordained minister. And I remember going to hear him really give a series of lectures that rattled our cage and he never raised his voice once there was nothing flashy about him understand this if we want to see God's work done around us we have to proclaim not ourselves but Jesus Christ is Lord as Paul said in 2nd Corinthians for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who set let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, in other words, this treasure of the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. Our witness, 
Our message must be given in the name of Jesus Christ. Just before he ascended into heaven, what did he tell his disciples to do? Make disciples. But before he said that, he says, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He was telling them to do something that would have been impossible had he not had the authority to tell, to do what he, all that he said that he could do. So the authority of our message, the power of our message comes from the one who is king of kings and lord of all lords, and it does not come from, our, from ourselves. When we forget that idea, it is because we have become too proud or become too big for our britches. Whenever we forget the fact that we are clay vessels and that it is the name of Jesus Christ where the power is, we begin to resort to human methodology. We begin to resort to human marketing practices. We begin to trust in our own wisdom and we begin to make disciples who follow us more than they follow Christ. We begin to worship popular preachers and teachers. We begin to take pride in the number of followers that we have made and we begin to brag about it. But listen, never, never, never forget that the power is in our message. It is not in us. We are just clay jars that carry the message. To be calling ourselves clay jars means that we're not necessarily fancy. Now verse 18 is what I would say refers to the defeat of Satan. Now this is not an easy verse to understand, really. Because it says, the, demon, the, the 72 returned and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, there's two different ideas about what this is talking about and what Jesus is saying. Some people are saying, as Jesus is saying, you know, I saw Satan get kicked out of heaven. And that's what it's talking about. And you may disagree with me on this, but I don't agree with that. And if you disagree, you know, you don't have to tell me how much you don't like what I said. But I think this makes sense right here. For one reason, number one, that I, I, I have a problem with it is this. Is if Jesus was just telling them that I was there when Satan got kicked out of heaven, his response almost sounds arrogant almost sounds rude because the disciples that come back they're just they're just buzzing with excitement you know we saw the demons you know cast out in the with the authority in, of your name you know and Jesus could have been saying I saw Satan get kicked out of heaven before Adam and Eve ever sinned you know it's just kind of like saying big deal about you know what you're talking about and you look at the context and the context has to do with these disciples seeing these demons being cast out. I think what we're, what we're looking at is this. Jesus was telling them, I know what you did. <laughs> I saw it going on. And he did. He could know all of that. If you remember, whenever Jesus met Nathaniel, one of his apostles, Nathaniel comes walking up and Jesus said, well, there's a real Israelite in whom there's no, no guile. And Nathaniel said, well, how did you know me? And Jesus said, well, while you were sitting there under the fig tree. <laughs> in other words, Jesus knows what all is going on all the time. You know, you're not be able to pull the wool over his eyes. And so what he is saying this is he's talking about this is what 
was done through these disciples that he set out to carry this message was something that, uh, that he saw them defeating Satan. In other words, Jesus, he said he was aware of all that was going on in the mission endeavor. He was watching his disciples. He saw the defeat of Satan. Listen to this. From the time that Jesus was born, Satan had mounted this all-out attack to destroy Jesus and do whatever he could to destroy the gospel and to destroy what Jesus had come to do. Herod attempted to kill Jesus. You remember that. Whenever Herod found out that the king of the Jews had been born, Herod finally issued an order to have every male child age two and under killed all around Bethlehem. Whenever Jesus, after he was baptized, he went off into the wilderness and fasted, and then who shows up? Satan did, and comes up and said, If you are the Son of God, why don't you tell those stones to become bread? You know you're hungry. Come on, come on, eat it. Because he thought if he could break the will of Jesus, he could thwart the message of the gospel. And that's not only it, but think about this. Where do we read of most of the cases of demon possession in the Bible. It's mostly there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, there's some there in Acts, but most of it is confined right there to the time of Jesus. And I think the only way to understand that and to explain that is this. Once again, Satan was doing his dead-level best to destroy and thwart the mission of Jesus Christ and to, and to thwart God's plans of redemption. And so I think this is what it's talking about. So what Jesus was saying is this. You know, Satan was at work during this mission trip which took place as Jesus was making his last trip to, uh, to Jerusalem. Satan was trying to thwart it, but once again, he lost. Satan's defeat was like a bolt of lightning coming down. It was something that was sudden. It was something that was unexpected. And what happened on that mission trip was something that hit Satan like a left hook out of Laredo, and he and his demonic horde were left reeling. The point here in this passage is not so much that the devil has come to work mischief on the earth, but that his power was dealt a crippling blow that was all going to end ultimately in defeat at the cross and at the tomb. I think this is what it's talking about. As a matter of fact, I'll show you one other thing. If we were to look in John chapter 12, we would read about when Jesus finally made it to Jerusalem. People were pouring in because of the feast. And while they were doing that, there were two uh, Grecian young men, Greek young men, not Jewish. They wanted to come up there for the feast. These two young men go up to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. And Philip, who usually appeared to be out of his depth most of the time, didn't know what to do. And so he goes over to Andrew and said, these two guys want to meet Jesus. Philip and Andrew go to Jesus and they said, these fellows want to see you. And if we were to look at this in verse 23, Verse 23 of chapter 12, what Jesus answered was this. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Where was the glory? It was at the cross and at the tomb. Then in verse 31, listen to what he says. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Something happened at the cross and at the tomb that foiled Satan's plans. And so, understand this. 
What Jesus did destroyed the devil's plans. Whenever we put our faith in him, he keeps us safe in his hands. It does. And that's something to be thankful for. Years ago, whenever I was a pastor in Central Texas, there was a, a group of Satan worshipers there in the county. And there was a lot of our kids, our teenagers, that were just scared to death. And I said, put your faith in Jesus. He can't whip him. You know, that's what we're going to do. And so anyway, but now verse 20 talks about the joy of salvation. Don't just rejoice that the, that the spirits are subject to you. In verse 20, he says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He said, here's what you need to be laughing about. Here's what you need to be smiling about. Our greatest joy should not rest on our spiritual victories, but our spiritual privilege. No matter how amazing the miracles are that we may witness, there's nothing quite as amazing as the grace which saves us. That should be our joy. You know, back in 1847, there was a Scottish obstetrician whose name was James Simpson. And the reason that people would still talk about him today is this. He was the very first physician to perform surgery on a human being using chloroform to put them to sleep while he was operating on them. Now, aren't you glad that someone came up with some things like that? Because before that, you know, either you had to bite on a bullet while they were cutting on you or get pretty well blotto with some old crow so that you just didn't care what they were doing to you. I mean, that was really what had to be done at times. But that was what he did. And as the years went by, after years went by, someone was interviewing him and said, asked him, what was your greatest discovery? And they felt, they, they felt like it was an obvious question with an obvious answer because he was going to say, you know, chloroform. But he didn't. Instead, what he said was that his greatest discovery was discovering Jesus as his Savior. And that's the greatest discovery you can ever make. You know, sometimes we'll hear a person give a testimony of some victory he's had in life. It may be health-related. It may be related to finances. Sometimes the person may speak of that victory as if he almost deserved it. But folks, we can never speak of God's amazing grace in that way. The Bible tells us to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Written in heaven. Permanently, indelibly engraved in the Lamb's book of life and that's some reason to rejoice and then there's the gift of revealed truth in verses 21 through 24 because as Jesus heard this it says that he rejoiced his heart overflowed with happiness and joy and and Jesus said I thank you father Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you have revealed them to little children you know we know about this whenever you read the gospel accounts you see that there were people that just didn't like Jesus and isn't it odd that the religious experts who should have known more about Jesus than anybody else were the ones who really didn't understand at all you know really there were those in those days that considered themselves to be unquestionable experts in religious affairs. They were the scribes. They were the experts in the law. But these experts failed to understand the reason why Jesus came. But you know, the experts may have snubbed Jesus, but there were also those simple, 
single-minded souls to whom the truth was revealed. You know, we don't have to be highly sophisticated to receive salvation because, you see, God reveals His truth and His grace to those who know Him and trust Him. It's just that simple. And He reveals His truth in Christ as He wills to do so. And we can be thankful that He does so because we could never discover His truth on, on our own. We really couldn't. You know, if God did not reveal Himself to us, we would never be able to figure Him out. And this truth that He reveals to us, there is only one thing that we have to do, is just we have to accept it by faith. And faith is this. It is the simple response of the whole heart to what God has done through His Son. Now Jesus says one other little thing here toward the end. And it's this. And he said in, in verse 22, he said, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There is a certain mystery about Christ that is understood only by God the Father. And because of this intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus can make God known to us. So if you want to know God, and there are people that do, you need to trust Jesus. And whenever you do, you can rejoice. And you can have a joy that no man taketh from you. Let's pray. Now, our Father, we thank you for your grace that you have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your power in which Satan and all of his wiles, by which it's Satan and all of his ways are defeated. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes so that we may see your grace, your ways, your salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.